Amen. Well, if you were paying attention during the, the drama, the skit, if you were listening carefully to the words of the songs, then my job's done. We can close in prayer and go home, I think. Because you've heard the gospel and you've, you've seen the power of spiritual victory. But I prepared a sermon, so I might as well preach this morning. What do you think? Uh, all right, thanks. So we're starting a new sermon series this morning um, that should take us right up uh, through to the holidays, right up, well, right up until Advent, anyway, um, talk called Thank You. And we're going to be looking at the spiritual blessings that God provides for us. That's why we have a beautifully set table behind me. Doesn't it, it doesn't make you excited to see a table like that? You think, it's coming, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas, all these wonderful... So uh, thank you to Kina, who did most of the work setting that up. So appreciate that, Kina. Uh, but we're going to be looking from now until Advent at the spiritual blessings uh, that we have in Christ and thanking God for them. Uh, I, I think thankfulness is, is the secret sauce of life. <laughs> I think I've said this before, but because thankfulness is what leads to humility. Uh, somebody who is more interested in counting their blessings than complaining about what blessings they don't have, they're more interested in looking at their life and seeing what God has provided, um, is usually a more humble person, and humility leads to joy. So, the secret to happiness, according to the scripture, is pretty simple. Gratitude. Being a grateful person. So the first blessing, the first spiritual blessing I want us to look at this morning is that of spiritual victory. Spiritual victory. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11. We were in Luke 11 last week in the previous series, so might as well stick right there, going from 14 onward. And uh, we live in a very spiritual world. Um, and the cool thing is our, our world now kind of recognizes that we live in a spiritual world. So the idea of naturalism, uh, that there is no spiritual world, that we're simply animals, that we're merely physical creatures, that idea has kind of gone out of fashion, uh, even among the non-Christian world. Uh, even those who don't believe in Christ, aren't followers of Jesus, will for the most part say, yeah, we're spiritual creatures. There's something beyond the mere physical. And there are many people who would say, I'm a very spiritual person. Um, I, I engage in a lot of spiritual practices that go beyond the physical and not be a Christian. So the idea of the spiritual um, is, is evident. And of course, this time of year, because coming up on October 31st is a time where people think about spiritual things, good or bad. Um, so October 31st, of course, is Halloween. Um, and uh, I'm not a, I don't take a strong position on Halloween or anyone that's wondering, I know some Christians are dead against it. Any Christian who celebrates Halloween is sinning and it's a horrible thing. And then there are some who take a very embracing approach to it. Um, I heard one theologian say it's his absolute, Christian theologian say it's his absolute favorite holiday. He said, because you can't escape it. You can't escape the fact that death is coming and, and spiritual realities are here. We're surrounded by it constantly. But I was interested in it. So I did a little bit of back, looking up to the background. So uh, Halloween, if you don't know, um, comes from two different things. Uh, one is a, very pa- is a pagan holiday. So that was existing for many, many years. Called Samhain. And uh, the idea of that is that is the one day of year where the spiritual world and the physical world are most closely together. Most close together. So if something's going to move from one world to the next, it's on that day. That was a Druid holiday, uh, an ancient pagan holiday. When Christianity began to spread, uh, it took over, and they had a different holiday called All Saints Day. And the eve before, All Hallows Eve. And that's the day that you celebrated the dead in Christ. That the dead in Christ are still alive. Uh, That their spirits go to be with the Lord, and they await the day of the coming resurrection. 
And so intentionally, by the way, this wasn't just a coincidence, they took over the pagan holiday and said, we're going to Christianize it and celebrate this instead. So that was the idea. But interestingly enough, both of them have to do with a spiritual reality. Now, here's my favorite. On October 31st of 1517, interesting enough, that same day of the year, a German theologian by the name of Martin Luther posted his 95 theses, TH, theses, by the way, on the Wittenberg Castle door and started the Protestant Reformation. So it also is, October 31st is, Reformation Day, which is the day we celebrate the beginning of the Reformation with the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, with our hope in Scripture alone, and salvation in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, goes forth. So that is a day worth celebrating, but of course a spiritually significant day. And here's what I want to say. As we think about that, and as the culture thinks about that, whether you celebrate it or not, and that's neither here nor there to me ultimately, recognizing that we have spiritual victory in Christ. Look with me at Luke 11, starting at verse 14, going to verse 26. It'll be on the screen, and if you would like to grab a Bible, there should be one in front of you. We read this. Now he was casting out a demon, meaning Jesus, that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, well, excuse me, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. We see here in Scripture is that Jesus gives us complete spiritual victory. Complete spiritual victory. As always, there's an outline in your bulletin if you want to kind of see where we're going. Uh, but we're going to walk through this and see how we have a complete spiritual victory in Christ. We start off in verse 14. Jesus was casting out a demonic force in a person. And sometimes when you have this sort of spiritual evil uh, upon somebody, it has different effects. Sometimes there's a physical ailment, death mute, blind, or some other sickness. Sometimes there's a mental ailment. We saw that with the Gadarene demoniac. He had a sort of mental illness. He was crazy. He was out of his mind. Um, 
not every mental illness or physical ailment is demonic. Not every de- demonic force leads to these things. But in this case, we see that. This presence causes disruption, disorder, pain, suffering in a person's life. And Jesus does a clearly good thing. He removes it from him so that the man is now healthy and able to speak and able to continue on with his life. There's a good thing. But his enemies, his opponents, see this as an opportunity to sort of accuse him of something. How can we take a good thing, the clearly good thing that he's done in helping this person and turn it into something bad? And they say, we got it. We're going to say he casts out these demons. He does this spiritual work by the power of Beelzebul, uh, the prince of demons. And you're probably wondering, what is this Beelzebul thing going on here? Um, It's a reference to an ancient Canaanite god, Baal. Um, And it it literally means Lord of the dwelling place or, an alternate translation, Lord of the flies. Uh, And the flies is sort of an insult to the whole idea. Lord of the dung heap, Lord of the flies. Uh, But that term, Beelzebub, just became in common use as a reference to the devil himself, the prince of demons, as they say here. So some are accusing him. They're saying the very power which he's doing is using the power of the devil. And later on, uh, some others also say we're looking for a sign, which is the opposite, isn't it? I mean, he just gave you a sign. He just healed a man who was mute and who was possessed here. And that means nothing to you. So now you want another sign. So you can't please these people either way. They are simply opposing everything that he does. Jesus responds, verse 17, uh, by quoting Abraham Lincoln, right? No, Abraham Lincoln lived much later than, than Jesus. Abraham Lincoln quotes Jesus, by the way. He says, that doesn't even make any sense. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. If Satan is casting out Satan, that doesn't make any sense. He's got a divided house. His kingdom is against itself. If I cast out, verse 19, demons by Beelzebul, then who are your sons casting them out? Their sons meaning their disciples, the followers of the Pharisees. If, if this is a, an evil work to, to do this kind of thing, then what are your disciples doing? They're doing the same evil work. Uh, so you're accusing your own people of the same thing. Verse 20, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom has come upon you. God is clearly at work with them right here. Uh, Jesus' authority is often questioned. His, his authority is often doubted. The fact that he has brought this complete spiritual victory is often um, opposed. Uh, and he uses, first of all, uh, logic, uh, reason. Uh, does it make any sense that the, the power of the devil would be used to remove the power of the devil? I mean, that, that doesn't seem to... If you have that, then you, you have a kingdom that's, that's divided against its, its very self. You have a civil war on your hands in a spiritual kingdom. And that's why Lincoln used it. I thought it was interesting. Uh, His reference, I figure I'll read it to you. In June 16th of 1858, Lincoln said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently, half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest Uh, the further spread of it and place it where the public mind shall rest in the belief that it is in the course of ultimate extinction. Sorry, Kina, I know this is 
difficult to translate, or its advocates will push it forward till it shall become lawful in all the states, old as well as new, north as well as south. Very simple principle. A divided house will fall upon, will fall down, divide and conquer. And interestingly enough, that is sort of Satan's strategy, not on his own kingdom, but on Christ's kingdom, isn't it? That's what he ultimately wants to do. First of all, you look at what these Pharisees, who are supposed to be awaiting the Messiah, I mean, this is the greatest gift. This is what they've been waiting for all these years. They pray, they teach their kids, they look forward to the great day of the coming of the Messiah. And now that they have him in their very presence, doing the miraculous, what do they do? They accuse him of the most heinous and evil thing imaginable. In fact, there's a parallel account, of course, in the other Gospels. And when they do this, they accuse him of, of working not by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the finger of God, but by working by the power of the devil himself. Jesus warns them strongly that they almost, I think he's saying almost, have committed the unforgivable sin. I don't know if you know that. There's, there's one sin that's not forgivable. Uh, we usually say any sin can be forgiven, right? Well, Jesus did say there is one sin, and one sin only, that is unpardonable. And that sin is, as he describes it, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, to speak evil against the Holy Spirit. The very thing that they are on the edge of doing, because they don't know for sure that he's doing it by the power of the Spirit, but they're accusing him of working in that way, and I think he's given them a warning. And the idea, I think, behind that is, when you commit that great sin of turning uh, against God himself and calling his work evil, uh, you, you don't repent, you don't come to faith. And if you don't come to faith, you, you're never forgiven. So... The very thing that saves you, you're turning against. And if you turn against the very thing that saves you, then you can't be forgiven because you're turning against that very salvation. Israel is divided, which is what Satan wants. He also wants to blind us to the truth. Uh, See, the ultimate goal of the devil, we see in Scripture, is to create chaos. Uh, It's to create disorder. Uh, It's to create rebellion. I mean, he doesn't really care about having followers for himself. I know that just recently um, they made uh, Salem Mass, the, the capital of the Satanic Church or something like that, just recently. But even they, in their teachings, would say, ultimately, we don't care whether you believe in a personal spiritual being, Satan or not. That's not the point. The point is, be your own God, do whatever you want. Which I think is interesting because the very name, Beelzebub, means the Lord of the Flies. How many people have ever read the book or seen the movie, Lord of the Flies? All of our teenagers should have their hands up. That's like a required one. What's the point of the book? When you, th- you think, why is it even named Lord of the Flies? And the point of the book is, plane crash hits this island, and all the adults are dead, so all you have is a group of kids, and there's no one in authority. So what happens when there's no authority? The kids begin to uh, actually begin to kill one another eventually, but there's chaos within. Everybody seeks to be their own god, the Lord of the Flies. Satan's kingdom ultimately would be our division and our blindness to him. So it should be no surprise, friends, that we have people today who oppose the Christian faith, who don't believe in the spiritual victory that Christ has given us. Uh, They were right there in front. Jesus was right there in front of them. They could see it with their own eyes, and yet they still doubted it. But Jesus is saying, if what I'm doing is not of the devil, which of course it isn't, then where does it come from? The finger of God. I love that terminology, the finger of God. Uh, Actually, it's only two other places, I think, in the scripture that describe a work as the finger of God. One is the writing of the law. So you guys know your story of Moses. He he writes 
the Ten Commandments with the very finger of God. And the other has to do with the Exodus. And I think I have that quote up there, right, Josh? Okay. So uh, as Moses is, is doing these different uh, sort of miracles to get Israel out of Egypt, you guys know the story, um, some of them, uh, some of the miracles that he does, that the magicians of Egypt are able to sort of mock. Uh, they can kind of do it themselves. Uh, so as he you know, sort of creates a, a snake from a staff, well, maybe they can find a way to at least make it look like that's what's happening. And a couple of other miracles. But finally, they meet a miracle in chapter 8, verse 18 and 19. It's on the screen behind me. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce the gnats. That's the particular miracle. But they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Imagine that. These little flies everywhere, all over the place. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. The power of God that cannot be copied anywhere. I think we see the same here. Jesus' work cannot be copied, cannot be done by any other power than by the finger of God. Uh, there's one other place, in, not in the Bible, but in culture that this uh, came up. That I, I, I haven't seen the movie Twister. I like the movie Twister. Uh, it's an old movie. There's one part, um, and I have a... Uh, anyone ever been in a tornado? Near, seen one? Okay. I've never been in one. We were in Illinois one time where the sky it was a tornado warning, and the sky was acting very funny. The clouds were moving strangely. We just got out of there as fast as we could. So I don't know if it was going to end up as a tornado or not, but I hear it is terrifying to see and to be in the presence of a tornado. But in the movie Twister, the main character, Bill, says, uh, it talks about the, the Fujita scale. That's the sort of scale in which they mark tornadoes. And it says it measures a tornado's intensity by how much it eats. And the girl says, eats, and he says, destroys. That's what I mean. That one we encountered back there was a strong F2, possibly an F3. And then one of the guys says, maybe we'll see some F4s. And one says, how? That would be sweet. And Bill said, four is good. Four will relocate your house very efficiently. And the girl says, is there an F5? What would that be like? And everyone at the table pauses. And one of the guys says, the finger of God. <laughs> the power of God. Something that's unparalleled uh, that you would, you would never see, never imagine. If Jesus is working here by the finger of God, then his kingdom has come. And God is present in that work. This spiritual victory. We see in verses 21 to 23 that his victory is complete and overwhelming. He gives them uh, an illustration. He uh, gives them a sort of short little parable. He says, when a strong man, a warrior... You know, a tough guy, a soldier maybe, fully armed. So this guy is, uh, you know, from head to toe, he's got his helmet on, he's got his shoes on, he's got everything, fully armed, like a Roman centurion or something. Uh, when he comes fully armed, verse 21, uh, guards his own palace, so he's alert, he's careful to watch over his stuff, his goods are safe. Nobody can break in. This guy's a strong guy, he's fully armed, and he's alert in protecting everything. But 22... But when one stronger attacks, what happens? He overcomes him. He takes away his armor, so leaves the guy naked, <laughs> uh, which he trusted, and then takes whatever he wants. He divides up his spoil. Now, what a picture that is. Uh, there. There's a strong guy protecting his stuff. A stronger guy comes in and overtakes it. What is Jesus talking about? Uh, obviously, the, the strong man here is a picture of the devil, of Satan. Uh, we can't see it with our spiritual eyes. So Jesus sort of gives us a visual of what is really happening within his ministry. 
And he starts by saying the devil is a strong man. Uh, notice that, and that's important. He's a strong man, fully armed, protecting his stuff. Uh, don't play games with the devil. All right? Just, uh, don't even toy with that stuff. It's not good. Uh, he will overpower you without Christ. He's, he's a powerful, spiritual being. Uh, he exists, and he's real, and he's strong. So let's start there. Uh, he's got his stuff. What is the stuff? What are the spoils? That's us. Interesting that, isn't it? To, 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 the, to Satan, who are we? We're stuff. We're chattel. We mean nothing to him. We're, we're like a trophy. Look what I stole from God. Look what I keep under guard. We're useless to him, ultimately, other than for him to brag about. Like a trophy wife, right? You guys know what a trophy wife is? So, you're a rich guy, whatever. You have a wife. She's pretty. You want to show her off. She's your trophy wife. I call Jessica my trophy wife all the time. So, she likes it, I think. I don't know. But we're not even a trophy wife to Satan. We're, we're stuff. We're chattel. We're a possession. You mean nothing to him. But then what happens, a stronger man comes in. Jesus. And what happens when the stronger man comes in? <laughs> the battle is so easy. He takes him on, he overcomes him, and he rips his armor off <laughs> and leaves him there naked and takes whatever he wants from him. Uh, and to him, we are not just stuff. To him, we are sons and daughters. To him, we are loved and cared for. To him, we matter. Friends, we are adopted as his sons and his daughters. We belong to him and we matter to him. Think of this man who was just rescued. Notice that the Pharisees, they don't care about this man. He means nothing. He's a pawn in their greater desire to discredit Jesus. But to Jesus, this mute man who's been rescued from spiritual bondage means everything. He's the whole purpose of Jesus being there. He's why he's come to defeat this strong man. I love the fact, as I said, that there's a complete victory here, friends. Uh, one we can be assured of. Uh, so I've been, I've been getting into, uh, I've been getting into uh, MMA, UFC. So two guys in the church are really into it. So I, I don't know, mixed martial arts, uh, where these two guys come in. They have all these training, all these different martial arts backgrounds. They go at it. Very few rules. Uh, and one of them, you know, beats up the other one and, or brings them into submission and they, they leave. So James, and, James Lorenzo and, and Kevin Magner are into it. So they've kind of... They've kind of got me into it a little bit. And sometimes in MMA, you have a good match, they go for a while, and then it ends up going to decision, just like in boxing. But sometimes you might have a, a really severely mismatch battle. Uh, here's what I would say. If, if one guy gets in there, and a weaker opponent gets in there, and one guy, the weaker guy, leaves with no clothes on and no gloves on, he lost the fight. I think that's fair to say, right? If you leave a, if you leave a fight naked, you lost. That's kind of what happens here with this stronger man. The, the stronger man beats him so severely that he disarms him entirely and walks into his house and takes anything he wants. Such is Jesus when it comes to spiritual victory. And friends, we can have that confidence of knowing he won. Uh, he wins decisively, most importantly, at the cross itself where he defeats Satan, in a sense, on his own ground. I love the drama that we watched and what it pictured. Here is Satan thinking he's won, uh, thinking that he's defeated God, defeated Christ on the cross. Uh, Christ is being crucified, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the only one who has been sinless, paying our penalty, and Satan thinks he's defeated him. And then what? He 
rises from the dead. He conquers the grave. He is our redemption. Reminds me of a story from the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, where the, the white witch thinks she's defeated Aslan because he's traded himself in for a traitor, Edmund. And as, Ed, and as uh, Aslan lay there dead on the table, she thinks, ah, I've defeated him. What can you do now? What's, you to, what's here to stop me now from going to conquer the rest of Narnia? And what, for those who know the story, what happens? He says, you didn't know about the deeper magic. <laughs> There's something even better. When an innocent man lays down his life for a sinner, the very, then death itself goes backwards and he rises from the dead and conquers it. Such is Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. Uh, friends, we can go with the confidence of knowing that Satan and all of his forces, we don't have to live in fear of them. I was, I was talking to, to Monica before, and she said in Ecuador, there's a spiritual battle. Satan's at work trying to stop them from what they're doing. But Christ always wins, right? Christ always is victorious. Uh, and he works, he brings those whom he wills to himself. He brings them to new life in Christ. Like you said, in, in ways you presented it to us here. It's not about the numbers. It's about God rescuing people, saving them, and bringing them into relationship. And friends, I would say this. We can be sure. Uh, we can be sure of our salvation. Uh, we don't have to live in a, a constant fear, a constant doubt. I hope that when the day comes, I'll be in heaven. I might not. I might be in spiritual darkness forever and ever. But I'm hoping I have, I've done enough. I've been there enough to get to heaven. Not at all. In Christ, we are spiritually free to enjoy him as our father. To enjoy our creator as one who is our Abba, who has a dearest relationship with us. Because it's not based on us. It's not based on what we do. It's not based on our own personal spiritual strength. It's based on Christ's finished and completed victory for us. He's the stronger man. He ties up the strong man and takes whatever he wants from him. Remember, friends, that we have a certainty, a completeness. There's an overwhelming nature to our victory in him. I think of a great, uh, mentioned Martin Luther for Reformation uh, Day. He wrote in the famous The Mighty Fortress is Our God, he wrote, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. So, unseen forces at work in this world. We will not fear, for God hath willed. His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. And one little word shall fell him. That word, of course, is Christ. Or in the more modern song, Church Arise, our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with a sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure, and Christ will have the price for which he died, an inheritance of nations. Our victory in Christ is sure. Be confident in that, friends. Don't live in fear of spiritual darkness. We are free in Christ. I like how he ends it in verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Uh, at the end of the day, friends, you're either with Christ or against him. Uh, there is no sort of spiritual in-between. Uh, somebody who sits on the, the fence you know, their entire life and then sort of squeaks by. In the end, you're either with Christ or against him. I like what... Um, 
Tim Keller says, we must acknowledge that there is no neutrality in the world. Everyone who does not acknowledge Christ as Lord is operating out of a false view of ultimate reality. If Christ is who he said he is, that's ultimate reality. Well, to confess Christ as Lord is to be in line with ultimate reality. Everyone is operating from a worldview that either denies Christ or worships him. No one is objective or neutral. No one can avoid the question. You're either for him or against him. I'm sure you've done this. I've talked to people who say, I'm not an atheist. Um, I'm an agnostic. Which means, I don't know. I'm, I'm ignorant of the question about God. And then the question is, well, how are you going to live then? Are you going to live like a believer or are you going to live like a non-Christian? Uh, I've never met an agnostic who said, because I don't know, I'm just going to play it safe and live as a Christian. <laughs> an agnostic means I'm going to live practically as an atheist, but say that I don't actually know if there's a God or not. So they're going to, they're going to say they don't believe, but they're going to live in one way, and which is without God. Or I'm going to be a nominal Christian. Uh, you know, I'm going to play, play my bets. You know, I'm going to... Make sure I show up at church a little bit from time to time. Um, uh, I'm going to believe in God in some general sense, but I'm not going to take my faith seriously. I'm not going to let it affect my life and change me. Uh, what does Jesus say here? There is no in-between. There is ultimately no neutrality. You are either with me or you're against me. And friends, what does that mean? Well, how does that, what does that lead to? Look with me at verses 24 to 26. The, this victory, the spiritual victory in Christ, is necessary for spiritual health. Necessary. Uh, this may have been confusing for you. It's confusing to me as a kid. Uh, when I was a younger Christian, I, I, this, this passage scared me, actually. I didn't know what he was getting at, what Jesus was saying at this, and it, and it didn't sit well with me until I understood what he's actually saying. Look at me at 24. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, what does it do? It travels. Now, again, is he being literal? Is he describing a, a spiritual reality in a physical way? We're not sure. But he says it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, that may be some reference to the idea, again, of the sea being the place of chaos, uh, of disorder. Remember the pigs from those who were with me at the, the Gadarene demoniac where they rush down into the, to the ocean quickly. Uh, they run through waterless places, seeking rest. And what happens? It finally realizes, I can't find anywhere, so what does it do? It goes back to the person it was sent out of, finds seven other unclean spirits, more evil than itself, <laughs> and then says, let's all go back, and they go back into the person that they were sent out of. And the person becomes even worse than they were before. What is he saying? <laughs> what is he saying in this passage? Uh, first of all, I would say, I don't, I, there's a lot of mystery around these things. And that's good, by the way. We, we don't have to have all the answers. In fact, when we pretend like we have all the answers, it, it actually does more damage, I think, to the Christian faith. Uh, if you don't know, just say you don't know. Uh, there, there are confusing things here. There, there are confusing things in this world. Um, how many people, I'm just curious, we'll do a little, how many people believe in, in Loch Ness? Okay, I've got a few. How many believe that there's a Sasquatch out there? At least one. Come on, no Sasquatches? No? How many people, all right, there's one. All right, besides Josh. Uh, no, how many people here believe in aliens? We should have a few, few more than that. There's something out there far away. All right, good. It's a mysterious world God has made. He didn't give us all the answers about everything. So don't, don't misunderstand me. Uh, I don't know exactly what's going on here, but I think I get the idea. Uh, he's addressing uh, these sons. So this is a reference to those followers of the Pharisees who are doing some type of work. And what he's saying is when you turn to certain spiritual forces outside of Christ, it may have an effect temporarily, but ultimately you are left vulnerable and in great danger outside of Christ. 
there are a lot of different spiritual things uh, that are not, not about Jesus. Uh, they're, they're out there. They're neutral. They're not necessarily bad, not necessarily good. Um, but outside of Christ, you're as vulnerable as ever. Uh, for example, I'll give you an example. Meditation. Meditation. There's a big deal about meditation now. Is meditation good or bad? Neither. Uh, it can be good. It can be bad. Right? Um, actually, we're told in the scriptures to meditate on his word day and night. So Eastern meditation is primarily an emptying of yourself, uh, just sitting there, being quiet, trying to block out all of the stress of life and just thinking of nothing and, or having a certain mantra or whatever, but emptying yourself, whereas Christian meditation um, is about taking a passage of Scripture or, or an attribute of God, meditating, thinking, considering that, mulling over it over and over, thinking about its application into your own life. Can be good, can be bad, either way. What he's saying here is, friends, certainly, yes, there are spiritual things in this world that can affect us in different ways, but outside of Christ, it has no lasting value and even can put us in a worse place. What happens when we come to Christ? The very finger of God is at work in our life, and he removes all spiritual evil and cleans that house permanently. Permanently. Actually, he re- fills the house. (laughs) He removes whatever was bad there and he fills it with something else. He fills it with his Holy Spirit. He fills it with the very presence of God and where God dwells, no evil can dwell there either. When we give our lives to Christ, friends, we belong to him and we are safe and secure in him. Friends, we have complete spiritual victory in Christ. Rejoice in that. Uh, this season, uh, as we're heading towards the holidays, let's be grateful. Uh, my guess is you're going to be grateful for your family. You're going to be grateful for food. Uh, you're going to be grateful for all God's provision and uh, all these different things. As we sit around a, a dinner table on Thanksgiving Day in particular, maybe you're one who has the tradition where you sort of go around the table and, and talk about something that you're thankful for and sharing that. And your kids sit there and uh, try to think, oh, I'm thankful for and they can't think of anything and they finally come to something and... You do that whole process. But for all of us, let's think about the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for saving us by the cross of Christ and dying in our place and defeating Satan and his work forever. Thank you, God, that we have spiritual victory purchased by Christ himself. Thank you, God, for spiritual protection from this day into eternity. That those who belong to him will never be snatched from his hands. That those who belong to him can have an assurance, a confidence that he now dwells in us by his spirit. Thank you, God, for protection from any spiritual evil in this world. And thank you, God, that the day will come when Christ returns and sets all right in this universe. Let's pray. Gracious Father, even as the table is set behind me to think about um, the great meals that we're going to share over the holidays coming up, help us, Lord. Help us to be grateful even more so for the spiritual feast that you've given us. That in Christ, 
you have conquered the strong man, that you have plundered us from his hands and made us your own. Thank you, God, that not only did you cleanse us, but you fill us with your very presence and assure us security forever. Father, I pray for anyone here who maybe is struggling with some of these very things. Maybe there are some here who struggle with this confidence, this security that we have in Christ. That they live in a, in a, a subtle fear that they will one day be removed from Christ or that they won't make it to heaven. Give them a, a confidence in knowing that their salvation is perfected in Jesus and that through faith in Him, they belong to Him forever. Perhaps there are some here, Lord, who are on the fence. They're, they're considering the state of their own soul. Um, help them to recognize, as Jesus says here, very clearly, there are those, only those who are for him and against him in the end, in that last day. Help us, Lord, all to consider our own faith, to make sure that we are trusting in Christ as Savior. And maybe, perhaps there are some here seeking answers, wondering where they're at spiritually, that you might speak to them even now that they might realize that there is a God in heaven who loves them enough that he would take them from a spiritual darkness and make them sons and daughters who belong to you forever. Be with us as a church, Lord. Help us, Lord, to remember whom we serve, to remember Christ, our Savior, to remember that though there may be spiritual opposition, and there will be from time to time, there is victory in you. Bring our hearts to worship, Lord, we pray. Open our mouths to be a powerful witness for you, speaking boldly about Jesus and knowing that the gates of hell will never prevail against the gospel. We pray all this in Christ's name, our Lord. Amen. Amen.